it is no surprise, even on this first Sunday in January, that we will continue our journey through the book of Acts. Some of you are hoping, you're going to do something different? No, we're not. We are going to move forward in Acts. And, and actually, we are, we we're talking about this last week, we we're in the middle of a big segment. And so actually, the past few weeks, we've kind of all been preaching on this movement uh, that Paul, Paul, if you remember, has finally, he's been wanting to get to Jerusalem, and he finally makes it to Jerusalem. And when he arrives, he, he gives the gift he's been collecting, and then he hears about these rumors. Nothing like when you finally get there, there being a problem to solve. So there are these rumors floating around, and, and they've got a solution. And so Paul jumps in to help, and he becomes the sponsor for these uh, young men who are going through purification rites, and, and he sponsors that. It takes him right back to the temple, and there he founds conflict with the Jews who are there. And, and so uh, he's then placed in prison for preaching. And so this is kind of where we pick up today. What we see is that violent mob we looked at last week becomes the congregation to which Paul preaches. And, and his message to them is one of both truth and grace. As we will see, Paul's words fall on deaf ears and hardened hearts. It's actually I think for us, a good moment, a good uh, time to take a snapshot of Paul's life, actually. And, and I believe the best way to do that is to use some words that Paul talks about himself. And so I want to actually, before we get to our Acts passage, point you to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, where Paul says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. And so Paul, he uses this image of a race. If you know me, then you know I love this image. Uh, and it's, I believe it's appropriate for us as we live the Christian life because we also run the Christian race. Even if you don't like to run, you are a runner. Uh, now, I shared last night with the church that uh, in my lifetime, I've run in lots of races, and some of them have been pretty unusual, actually. There was one uh, that I, I ran in. It was called the Tomato Town Trot. Uh, and there are several uh, cities in the United States that claim to be the birthplace of the tomato, which is, of course, crazy. Uh, but this was one of those places. And so they had a race. Uh, they call it the Tomato Town Trot. And as you ran, they would hand out tomatoes, and you could eat tomatoes. That was lots of fun. Uh, another race was called the Jingle Bell Run. Now, this one was at Christmas, and you can see the appropriateness there. But the runners would take the little jingle bells, and they would tie them on their shoes. And so the whole race, it was horrible race. Because the whole time you're running, you're hearing these jingle bells. And it's like, oh, man, why did I sign up for this? I only did that once. My favorite race, though, was one that was actually not even a running race. It was a bicycle race, and it was called, are you ready for this, Tour de Donut. I did not say Tour de France. You, were, you thought maybe, but it was really called Tour de Donut. It was kind of uh, made to model Tour de France, at least the name was, except it was a 50-kilometer uh, bike race, and, and every 10 kilometers, you would stop, and you could eat donuts. Uh, now, that was a good deal. In fact, the more donuts you ate the more time they would take off your clock. 
So you could, you could kind of play that out and do the math of that. How could you really win that race? Could you sit down and just eat donuts all day? Well, some of them gave it a try. They didn't actually finish the race, so that was, that's another story. But I love that race because you could eat donuts. That's my kind of race. Now, I don't know how much of a runner you are, if you've ever done one of these silly races or not, but I suspect you know something about running. You know what the race is. Because every day of your life, you're running a race. And you are running, if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are running the Christian race. The truth is, we all run the race. We try, as runners are, as athletes are, to be disciplined in our training. We try to focus on Jesus. We run as hard and as fast as we can, and and yet we know that for all our efforts and our attentions, we know how easy it is to get off track, to miss the mark, to fade out of the race. We know the story. And if anybody, if anybody had an excuse to get off track, it would have been the Apostle Paul. He comes to Jerusalem. He's bringing an offering, an act of unity. He's doing a good thing. He's bringing Christians together. He's done this good thing. And then there's trouble when he gets there. It's like crossing the into the promised land and discovering you have to take over the cities. Oh, wait, that happened too. Paul discovers there's challenges. He comes to Jerusalem and ends up sponsoring some Jewish believers to fulfill their purification rites. He he does that as a good thing. He's trying to share the gospel in all ways to, to all people. He ends up in the temple, and guess what happens there? He gets arrested. I mean, if that is not enough to get you discouraged, I don't know anything that will. Yet Paul, in the midst of it, with his intentions, with his efforts, with his desire to follow Jesus, he stays focused on the mission. He keeps running the race with his eyes focused right on Jesus. Let's look. Let's look at the passage. It's Acts chapter 21. Uh, We'll start there. We'll we'll pick up with verse 37. We'll go into Acts chapter 22 uh, all the way through verse 21. And then, Scott, that's where you pick up next week. So So if you want to follow along, uh, it is uh, verse 37 in chapter 21. As the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he asked the commander, May I say something to you? Do you speak Greek? He replied. Aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out into the wilderness some time ago? Paul answered, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Sicilia, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to the people. After receiving the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. When they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic, Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus of Sicilia, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way and to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. As the high priest and all the council can themselves testify, I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus. 
and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord, I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. He replied, my companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord, I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear his words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, wash your sins away, calling on his name. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and I saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he said, leave Jerusalem immediately because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, go. I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Hmm. The passage begins with Paul being taken into custody. Imagine, just imagine him. He's got soldiers on either side and they're escorting him uh, to the specific location. And then for some reason, Paul, he, he reaches over, he looks at the, the commander and he says, May I say something to you? <laughs> as, a, as the passage says, as the soldiers were about to take him into the barracks, he asked the commander, may I say something to you? Now, isn't that an interesting situation? That Paul just, he's, he's ready to talk. He's ready to share. And then we see here that the commander immediately thinks that Paul was famous, or maybe we should say infamous. He was the infamous Egyptian. Now, you probably don't know who this infamous Egyptian was, so let me tell you about him. A little history here about the, the Egyptian. This was a fella who had tried to lead people in a revolt against Roman. Remember, this was the time of Roman occupation, and occasionally there would be revolts. There would be pockets of rebellion, and, and this Egyptian, this infamous Egyptian, had come, and he, he'd stirred this up. So, so this particular Egyptian had taken a large number of people to the Mount of Olives, promising them that God would intervene the moment they started the revolt and rebel. And, and you can guess what happened. It didn't happen that way. In fact, Governor Felix at the time uh, put down the revolt with the loss of so much life. Yet somehow, 
this infamous Egyptian managed to escape. So the commander was thinking, oh, we finally got him. We finally got this Egyptian. And then he speaks. And he was surprised because Paul speaks Greek. Clearly, he was not the Egyptian. The Egyptian wasn't going to speak Greek. And so the commander thought, thought that he knew who this guy was. He was so excited. But then he, he realized, no, he's not. It was a simple case of mistaken identity. He just didn't know who Paul was. Who was this prisoner? That's what he wanted to know. A crowd of people who were following along, well, they thought they knew Paul. They thought they had, they had him for a different reason. But remember, they had just attacked Paul, this violent mob we read about last week. Paul responds, and so he responds to them, but not with violence, with compassion. Actually, Luke's mention of the language here in this passage, we're wondering why is he, he mentioned, why does he bother to mention? First, he's speaking Greek, and then all of a sudden he switches to like a Hebrew dialect that's Aramaic. Uh, and and the, the reason was that Paul was, was using a language that people could understand. It says in verse 40, after receiving the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd when they were all silent. He said to them in Aramaic. The fact that Paul spoke fluent Aramaic caused the people to become very quiet because they wanted to know who was this prisoner. They wanted to know who was this man. Everyone wanted to know who was this man. And so Paul begins to tell them, Paul begins to address them respectfully, calling his audience brothers and fathers. It's a very respectful way to address a crowd. It's actually, if you remember the book of Acts, uh, several months ago when we were in Acts chapter 7, it was Stephen who addressed the crowd in exactly the same way. In chapter 7, verse 2, to this he replied, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. Interesting, isn't it? But in Paul, in verse 22, 1, Paul says, Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. The word translated defense in verse 1 is actually the Greek word apologia. It's from which we get the word apologetics. Uh, it usually refers to the defense of, of the Christian faith. It, it basically means sharing your testimony. And sometimes people get confused about this because it's, it's not an academic debate necessarily. It's definitely not a, an armed re re revolt. Uh, to, to give an ap apologetics, to give an apology is, is not to say, I'm sorry for my faith. It really what it means is to share your faith with love and compassion. And so that's what Paul's doing here. He's sharing just how much God loves him and just how much God has done in his life. And in this way, Paul shares about his new life in Christ and his repentance from rebellion, his repentance against rebelling against Jesus. Paul's report on his conversion, which, by the way, this is the third time we've come across it in the book of Acts, as you should get this one down by now, is... Uh, is similar, but not exactly the same as the two other occasions. Uh, there are some interesting differences. First of all, the version here in Acts 22 focuses on his call rather than his conversion. That's interesting because it's more about what God has called him to do rather than so much 
from which God has called him. It's more about to where God is calling him than from where has call, God has called him from. And so it's a different focus. And secondly, this account has greater emphasis on light. In Acts chapter 9, in that account, Paul specifies that it was around noon when he saw the light, which would make it a very strong light. Paul has had time to reflect on the meaning of this experience and this encounter with Jesus to understand the meaning of this light. Jesus, you remember from the gospel, says, I am the light of the world. About noon, verse 6 says, As I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed all around me. And thirdly, another difference is that Paul doesn't mention Ananias' dialogue with the Lord. In, in the other occasion, you remember Ananias has this conversation, and, oh, it's dangerous. You really want me to go, go minister to this persecutor of Christians? And, and, and the Lord says, go, go, angels, go. But instead, Paul says, he focuses on Ananias' character, being a devout observer of the law. It means that he has had time to understand and reflect on his relationship with Ananias and, and how important this relationship really is. Verse 12 says, A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. Now, there are other differences in the story which we could spend all afternoon talking about if we wanted to. But all this to say, it is possible to tell the same story of how God works in your life, but in a different way. Have you ever had that experience? Has God ever done a work in your life? And when you look back on it, when you reflect on it, you see things you didn't see before. It happens. By sharing his testimony here, Paul is answering the question everybody wants to know. What's the question everybody wants to know? Who is this guy? Who is Paul? And so Paul is using his his testimony to tell them who he is. But most importantly, I believe this is the turning point in the story, that this is the focus. Paul is not just telling his testimony so that others will know who he is. Paul is telling the story so that Paul will remember who he is himself. Do you see the difference? He's sharing the testimony, not just for the others to understand him, but that he himself can understand what God has saved him from and to which God has saved him. For what reason? Paul shares his testimony in the exact way it needed to be told. And if you notice, if you look really carefully, you will see three very strong imperative statements. If you're a linguist, if you love to study languages, this part gets you really excited because you can, you can, I know a lot of you study languages, so look at this part. There are three imperative statements in this passage, three occasions in just this testimony. Jesus charges Paul with the mission of going and sharing and telling the good news. In this testimony, Jesus is the voice encouraging Paul. Go, Paul. Run, Paul. I know what, I, what I've called you to do. I know you can do it. Go, go. And so Jesus is encouraging Paul. In, in verse 10, in 22.10, he says, Get up, the Lord said, and go 
into Damascus. In verse 18, quick, he says, leave Jerusalem immediately. And in verse 21, the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. This is clear evidence of the way God powerfully works in our lives because there are so many ways in this testimony where Paul remembers the voice of Jesus telling him to go, get up and go, get up, finish the race, keep moving, keep doing what I've called you to do. And I think it's so important. I think it's so important because there are times in our lives when we need to hear the voice of Jesus encouraging us, challenging us, charging us, helping us to remember who we are. Have you ever had a moment like that? I know I have. I know I have. There was a time in my ministry when I was, when I was discouraged. Actually, I said a time in my ministry. There have been lots of times in my ministry. But there's a time specifically that I remember I'd served as a pastor of my church for 10 years. It was a good church. The church, they were good people. But the ministry was difficult. It was a multicultural ministry. If you, if you work in multicultural world, you know their challenges. Because why? People come from different cultures, different understandings, different expectations. It means in a ministry, in a, in a Christian community, you have to do lots of listening, lots of listening, lots of hard work of listening. And you have to care for each other. You have to, to encourage each other. It, it involves careful, clear communication. You have to communicate so clearly with so much effort. It involves a deep investment in the lives of other people. You've got to pour into others and pour richly. It's the kind of ministry that's not easy. But honestly, I, I want to stop talking about ministry because it's not just about pastors. It's not just about ministry. It's about life. It's about running the race. I have to be honest with you to say that the life of following Jesus isn't easy. Now, don't let anyone tell you that becoming a Christian is the easy thing to do. Don't, don't let them tell you that, that if you choose to follow Jesus, your life will be easy. You will get healthy, wealthy, and wise. Oh, wait, it was Ben Franklin, I think. But no, it's a lie. Following Jesus doesn't make life easier for you. But I will tell you what it does. It makes life better for you. You see, it's not easier, but it's better. And I'll tell you, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I know it's not easier. I've faced challenges, but it's better. There is no better way to live your life. So much better. I wouldn't trade it for anything. But there was this time in my ministry when I needed to be reminded of my call. I felt discouraged. I'd, I'd fallen down on the track. The race was, was going on around me. I, I needed to hear the voice of Jesus rooting me on, encouraging me. I needed to hear the Lord and Savior of my life saying, John, you can do it. Go, run, get up and go. And so God did that for me. He, he took me to a place where I was called into ministry. Not, maybe not literally. He didn't take me back to Russia. But he took me to a place that was similar. Took me to the Republic of Georgia, actually. A place where I could experience the same reality of call. Both places, in both places, there had been Christian persecution. In both places, there were people who had suffered under communism. Yet, in both places... I was able to see God work in fresh and exciting ways. 
there were so many similarities, but the most important one was that Jesus was refueling me in ministry, was encouraging me. I mean, I can tell you this story. You've heard my story of the call that happened in Georgia and, and why we're here today and Deborah's in Hungary. But I have to tell you, it's because Jesus was there helping me running the race. It was the voice of Jesus charging me and speaking to me to remember who you are. Remember who you are helping me run the race. Have you ever needed that? Truth is, I think it's easy to get off track, isn't it? I mean, we want to live more fully, to have more knowledge of God, to trust Jesus more and more. And, and we start with good intentions. We want more Bible study. We, we sign up for more Bible study. We, we, we put in our calendar. We're going to spend more time in prayer. And, and, and we want to be more disciplined in our faith. And, uh, but somehow we just don't make it very far, do we? And it's not just us. <laughs> Actually, there's a long record of this in the Bible. The Bible's packed full of stories of, of people who get off track with God. Adam and Eve, the first people's story we got in the Bible, they get off track with God. We know that. They choose disobedience. Abraham gets off track with God. He, he gets off track by choosing to take matters in his own hands and having a baby with the wife's maidservant. That's another story for another day. Moses gets off track by choosing not to trust God. I mean, the Old, the Old Testament is one story after another where God's people get off track. In fact, it seems they spend more time off track than they actually are on track. Then you read the Old Testament. Now, you'd think, well, it would be different in the New Testament when Jesus comes, but even in the presence of Jesus, the disciples, they keep getting off track. They're afraid during the storm. Then, then they have this great big discussion among themselves. Who's going to be the most important in the kingdom? Who's going to get to sit at the right hand of Jesus? They even fall asleep during prayer time. I mean, what is that? The original, if the original disciples can get off track, if the heroes of our faith can get off track, then guess what? We can expect occasionally in life we're going to get off track. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like once you were close to God? Have you ever felt like uh, you're not there now? Have you ever felt like you've fallen down in the middle of the race, the spiritual race? If you have, then let me share with you some good news. Jesus is here. He's your biggest fan. He's, he's, he's rooting you on. He's encouraging you to get back up and get into the race, but he's more than a fan. But he's not just shouting from a distance. He's ready and willing to come close, to come right where you are, to pick you up and get you moving in that race. That's who Jesus is. Several years ago, there was uh, this very touching story about an Olympic runner by the name of Derek Redman. I don't know if you remember that story. Uh, he was, Derek was a great athlete. He was a, was a sprinter. Uh, but he was one of these guys where the injuries just plagued him all the time. And so finally, it was the Barcelona, Barcelona Olympics in 1992 when he, his body was, was strengthened, he was healed, he was ready. He was a favored to win the classic 400-meter run. And so he had the, the, the races, they started, and he had the fastest time in the first heat of the race. And then he won the, the quarterfinal. And so he was getting ready to, to run the semifinal of the 400-meter run, and he started out well, at least the first 250 meters, and then something happened. His hamstring. He pulled his hamstring. If 
you know running, if you know runners, you know that's the end of the race. And, and it was horrible because you could see him in pain. And, and then, though, it, this, is the, this is the moment, though, what happens is his father comes out of the, the stands of people. He, he has to fight his way past security to get to his son. And his father picks him up, and the two of them finish the race together. It is one, I believe, of the most special, even if you're not a runner, it's one of the most touching moments in sports history, I believe, in track and field. And, and I've got the video. I want to show you the clip. Uh, but I want you to put yourself in the picture where you, you're the runner and your heavenly father is going to join you in the race. When I am down and oh my soul so weary when troubles come and my heart burdened be then i am still and wait here in the silence until you come and sit a while with me you raise me up so I can stand on mountains. You raise me up to walk on stormy seas. I am strong when I am on your shoulders. You raise me up. To more than I can be an encouraging story but I want to point you to something that is even more encouraging than that comes from Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 therefore since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses let us throw off everything that hinders in the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us Amen. Today is the first day, January 1st, of a new year. And it is a wonderful opportunity to start the race strong.
to pick back up wherever we're running, to know that Jesus is calling you. He's calling you from, but he's calling you to something great. Jesus is ready to help. In fact, Jesus is jumping into the race right now. It's time to reflect. What, is, what has God done in your life? And, and more importantly, what does God want to do? What word of encouragement is the Lord speaking to you now? How is God calling you to run the race marked out for you? And maybe, maybe you need to dive into God's word deeper. Maybe that's the call, the challenge. Maybe, maybe you need to get serious about prayer. Maybe you need to let go of some things, some past, give it up to the Lord. Things you shouldn't be holding on to to begin with, you need to let go. Or maybe you just need to say, finally in your life, once and for all, yes, Lord. Those are powerful words. Yes, Lord. I will follow you. Yes, Lord. I will go wherever you call me to go. Yes, Lord. I will trust you. I don't know what the Lord is, is telling you. I don't know how he's reaching to you today, but I do know that he is. He's encouraging you. He's saying, yes, you can do it. Go, go, run the race I have set for you. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful. You are more than a coach. You are more than an earthly father who jumps in to help. You are, you are our savior. You are the God of the universe. And you come and you, you encourage us, you call us, and you help us answer that call. Lord, we're so thankful that you love us, you care for us so much, that you're in the race, you're here with us even now. Help us to get up and go, to follow you, to run that race. We pray and we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.